Welcome to the Off Lead Podcast, presented by Gun Dog Outpost. My name is Tyler Meaden, and I'm your host. On this episode, we welcome back Cody Alford from Coosa Bend Kennels down in Alabama. Uh, Cody is a full-time guide, uh, trains gun dogs, he trains labs, uh, cockers, goldens, uh, pointers, setters, you name it, he's touched them all. And the topic of the day is introduction to birds. Uh, it's different based on what you're doing. If you're doing um, duck dogs, competition dogs, if you're doing upland work, uh, if you have pointers. So Cody walks us through his process with all those. Uh, really good stuff. Really, really, really interesting. I think you're going to take away some tidbits from, from this episode. I know that I did. Now, before we get into the episode, first we have to talk about sponsors. So first is up first is Gun Dog Outpost. What I need you to do is head over to gundogoutpost.com check out the merch that's available any sales there help support this podcast and vice versa and your support is greatly greatly appreciated second is hoist aka iv level hydration in a bottle it's officially summer season around here we've had many days in the 90s already tons of days in the 80s it's been like a record june in wisconsin as far as heat goes and hoist is what i'm drinking every time i'm done uh running Mac and getting getting ready for this upcoming hunt test season here. So uh, it is my go-to drink. Um, you know, I say this all the time. It's one of three Department of Defense approved electrolyte beverages. It's good enough for our troops. It's definitely good enough for you and me. Helps me recover, helps me rehydrate. When I, after I finish drinking when I at home, and I got the energy to uh, continue on with my day. Now, if you'd like to give Hoist a try, head over to drinkhoist.com and use the code GUNDOGOUTPOST, all caps, one word, to get 10% off your order today. Now, last but certainly not least is Dakota 283. As you know, Dakota 283 makes some amazing kennels and other dog products for your four-legged hunting and training partner. And I've got big news and a big opportunity for you. As a listener of this podcast, you have a chance to win a Dakota 283 G3 kennel and the Dine-In Dash system, both with Dakota Guard. So what is Dakota Guard? It is the next line of defense to keep your dog safe. It's antimicrobial protection against the likes of Salmonella, E. coli, and a host of other invisible organisms. It is added in small batches throughout the production process, and the end result is protection that you can't see, but you know is there for your dog. So to enter the giveaway, uh, what I need you to do is head over to gundogoutpost.com and click on the Dakota 283 giveaway option from the main menu. Fill out the form and boom, you are in. The form will take you literally 30 seconds. Uh, It's that simple, it's that quick, it's that easy. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Dakota Guard and Dakota Dakota 283's list of products, um, head over to dakota283.com, check out what they have to offer, you find something you like if you can't wait for the giveaway you need to get something right now use the code gdo10 and you'll get 10 percent off your order today all right that's it intro's over let's go ahead and dive in all right cody welcome back to the podcast Hey man, how's it going? I am just living the dream here at uh, 6:20 a.m. How are you doing? I'm good. It's it's actually cool. A little low humidity today, supposed to be. Um, so looking forward to it. Yeah. What is what is cool about you? 
Oh, today's going to be, I think, 88. Okay. Um, you know, the, the kicker with Alabama is I would take 95 and no humidity versus 82 and high humidity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just the, we we thrive on humidity down here, and that's the that's what I try to avoid. Yeah, I uh, I I hear you there. I was just down in South Carolina, and it was like, uh, you know, ninety percent humidity at all times of day. And it was like, holy smokes! It's like a warm, yeah. wet blanket on me every time I'm outside. You're exactly right. You you walk outside and start sweating. <laughs> yes, and there's not a time that it changes. It's uh, it's it's wild, but we're yeah. good, man. We're good. We're in the good. you know summer phase of things, and got young dogs right now, of course, and. Perfect. Um, Perfect. Just getting getting things ready to try and have some dogs um, through our basic gun dog program ready for mm-hmm. for duck season this year. Excellent. And uh, let's let's back up just a quick second, though. Why don't you give some background on you? Um, you said you're from Alabama. What's the name of your business? What are you What are you specializing in? My name's Cody Alford. I live in Hoax Bluff, Alabama, and name of my kennel is Coosa Bend Kennels. We do retrievers and uh, pointing dogs, and mm-hmm. we uh, we run some hunt tests. Nothing. We don't make a living doing hunt tests, but you know, if we have clients that run hunt tests or want to, we'll do it. And then you know, we personal dogs we run. Um, and then I guide full time. I've uh, actually, I don't know, I can't remember if it had happened since we spoke or not, but I've taken over the head guide job at, at the preserve I work at. So a little more responsibility with that. But we uh, we just train, you know, gun dogs primarily. Yeah. We don't have a lot of a lot of clients in that get extremely fired up about the hunt test game. Um, training's fairly the similar i mean it's pretty much the same yes. steps but uh mm-hmm. you know just not as many weekends on the road for us which we kind of like yeah absolutely absolutely and uh congratulations on on uh uh picking up that that new guy job that guy job Thank the you. that's big time that's big move yeah it's uh i've actually got lunch today with the the owner and uh try and talk about some things where it's going where what he wants what i want um so it'll be it'll be fun. We, uh, you know, got some new things in the works up there, and uh, it'll be here before you know it. October comes fast. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. All right. And uh, how many dogs do you have in right now for training? Um, I'm kind of in a in between phase right now. I've, I've taken two in this week, sent two home last week, and I've got a couple more coming at the beginning of July that are going to be in that six to eight month old range. Um, Mm -hmm. So we'll just say after the, after the 4th of July, I should have, uh, I think I'll have eight gun dogs in that are here for, you know, my retrieving program. And then we've got a few basic obedience dogs. I don't take any point in dogs during the summer. It's just too hot. It's pointless. Um, You know, I run mine. Yes. To keep them in shape, but we don't, I don't do any bird work till it starts to, you know, cool back off September, October. And, and, you know, I used to take, try and do client dogs, but I just didn't feel like they were getting their money's worth because 10 minutes in, their dogs just whipped. Yeah. Um, you know, if you got a hard run dog, I don't care what time you run it. And I was just like, you know what? 
we're just going to back this off and we're going to only do pointing dogs six, seven months a year. And uh, it's, we've turned out a lot better dogs. Um, yeah. That way. So now you gotta, you gotta adapt to your situation, right? And the yeah, circumstances. Yeah, first, in. first golden retriever in um, to train for retrieving work. So not my first one. It's the first one that's going to make it. <laughs> okay. All right. uh, I guess there's a difference, but uh <laughs> It's actually kind of a funny story. So she came from a client, a previous client that sent their dog that they thought was going to be their gun dog. And Mm -hmm. he was super sweet dog, but he was just that a super sweet dog. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't handle pressure and wasn't just extremely fired up for retrieving. So I sent him home after a month. And they're like, well, we got this female, but we just want basic obedience done with her. And I was like, okay, you know. Um, he said, I figure if they're both going to be just be pets, then at least obedient pets. I was like, well, you know, you're doing your dog a favor. So anyway, they get it here. And I was like, you know, I'll throw some bumpers for it and see how it does once here if you want to try. And he's like, sure, but I don't think you're going to get anywhere with that. It's like, okay. So anyway, needless to say, she's in – I think it's a start month three of retrieving program. She's just, she loves it. Uh-huh. Um, not super crazy about the water, but he doesn't duck hunt. He just dove hunts. Sure. That's his thing. Um, you know, she's not what I would call a water specialist, but she gets the job done and, mm-hmm. and enjoys it and likes to work. And so um, she's, she's been fun so far, but yeah, we got about eight dogs in right we'll have eight dogs in it that's about all i take at one time yeah. um just so i can make sure that i'm getting everything out of them sometimes depending on the year and the stage of the dog we'll take more and, sure um but right now in the heat of the summer and that's a, that's a good load for us yeah what about uh what about pointing breeds like you get to the um it gets a little cooler into the fall and you start taking pointing dogs you take more pointing dogs yeah, so we'll we usually year round we'll keep about the same amount of retrievers. Um, you know, we keep eight to ten retrievers in, and then I'll take four or five point dogs at a time. But that rarely, I Alabama's kind of weird. You got to really love bird hunting to own a bird dog down here because there's there's not wild birds anymore. Yeah. So you're paying, you know, to either go up to you or go out west or you're you're hunting on a preserve either way it's costing mm-hmm. you money yep um i mean there are some wild birds but to to really go hunt them you got to just enjoy walking through the woods and uh not shooting anything so you know we to get four or five point dogs at the same time is rare here um we'll we usually wind up getting two or three at a time over the course of the season but it's it's nice i take them with me when I go guide and we do a lot of split hunts. So we'll do an afternoon hunt and then a morning hunt and I'll go run them in the morning before our afternoon hunt. And then I run them in the afternoon after the morning hunt, put them on live birds. Once they get to a stage, you know, where they're steady and, and, and holding on birds. And I can, I can really get a lot of work done with them during that time and get them the big picture going. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we rarely, all in all retrievers point dogs we rarely have more than 12 dogs 14 dogs going at a sure. time sure sure that's, that's a big load for us and 
And like I said, it's me and my wife. We don't have, I've got some people that help with kennels and, and you know, throw bumpers and stuff, but we don't have what I would call an assistant trainer. Yep. Like some of these people do that, you know, and I just don't feel like it's fair to the client or the dog to take 30 dogs and, you know, get it out once a week. Yep. Yep. Hey, hey, yeah. I mean, you're, uh, you're, you want to provide the quality product. So you got to do what you got to do to, to put that out. And that means less dogs and more time spent with you putting your hands on that, on the dogs. That's so right. that makes, makes a ton of sense. Uh, you mentioned, um, you know, getting those pointers on birds between your split guiding sessions. You mentioned you got a lot of young dogs in that are getting ready for duck season. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a great little segue there to talk about uh, introduction to birds. So uh, that's the topic at hand. And I want to break this down into um, two, two separate um, processes. And that's introduction of birds for, for your duck dogs, for competition dogs, for untest dogs. Um, and then introduction of birds for, for upland dogs. Because I think um, that process, depending on where people fall into, um, be a little bit different. Very, very different. And especially once you get the initial introduction out of the way, uh, yep. for me, at least, it's, it's very different. Yep. Um, yeah. So, yeah, let's, let's dive into it. We can let's start go. with retrievers first. Um, yeah. Before we, before we do that, though, I, need, I want to ask you about young dogs and wings. Do you introduce young dogs to wings? Uh, yes. And okay. I do it on a bumper. Okay. So I like zip time to a bumper. Got it. Um, because what I've figured out, no matter how much you talk to people, a lot of dogs you get in at six months, seven months old, have spent a lot of time retrieving a tennis ball or anything but a bumper. Yes. And, you know, so sometimes they're a little reluctant um, to pick up that bumper right away. Mm -hmm. And some of them just go snatch it up, but you have those dogs that are like, this is not the ball. This is not whatever my, my um, owner has thrown for me before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we was at tie wings on, on several bumpers and, and it really helps with scent too. Yes. Get the dog's confidence up. But what yep. I've started doing, I'll, I'll back it up a step, you know, with the puppies we have here, when we have a litter of puppies, whether it be pointing dogs, cockers, retrievers, we, I've started, I keep a bunch of frozen quail. They're mm -hmm. small, the whole quail. And when we get those puppies at four and five weeks old, when they're really starting to get with it and run around, I'll take a couple frozen quail when I take them out in the air and just throw them on the ground, let them sniff them, pick up, run around with them. And that's where my personal dogs that either I'm, I have myself or puppies, if you're getting them from me, you know, at four weeks old, they're on bird introduction. Mm -hmm. They've started it. They know what the smell is. They know what a feather feels like. And they're not picking it up because they want to. They're just curious. Yep. And then all it takes is one of them to grab it and take off running. And then guess what? Everybody else wants that bird. Uh -huh. And before you know it, you can throw three, four, five, six, and everybody goes and picks one up and runs around with it. Mm -hmm. And what I have found on, you know, when I keep a puppy out of that litter, and I hadn't always done that. Um, I just used wings or, or something like that. And they tend to just tear the wings up a lot. Yes. Um, with the quail and they're froze. So they're hard. You know, they don't try to eat them. They just run around and play, but they're getting feathers in their mouth yep. and they don't realize it. And they're getting scent and they're just kind of, 
I would say they're they're more advanced when it comes time to do the formal bird introduction. So when I break that bumper out with that feather on it, there's no, hey, what is this? Mm-hmm. Hey, that's a weird feeling. Yep. Um, you know, and and your your uh, your pointing dogs is is the, I do the same thing for them when they're puppies too. You know, they they all get feathers early, um, and that's really helped me progress. And I tell not all my clients call when they get a puppy and say, Hey, I'm planning on sending it to you. Some of them I get, Hey, my dog's six months old. When are you going to have a spot? You know? So, but if somebody calls and says, Hey, you know, we're buying a puppy and you just want to talk to you first. That's the first I'm like, Hey, I got a freezer full of quail. Come get you a couple. Mm-hmm. And, you know, take them home with you and let your dog play with them. Pick yep. them up, run around for a couple minutes, put it up. Yep. Just go ahead and let that dog get used to feathers as early as possible before we deal with force fetch or anything like that yep and let it be natural let it be something that's always done and it just puts you that much further ahead in my opinion yeah no um, it, ma- it makes it it makes a ton of sense you're getting you're getting them introduced to the scent you're getting them introduced to feathers um there's a positive association between that bird um and the and the puppy at such a young age that that like you said they don't even know it but i'm sure when you get a little bit further down the line when they're a little bit older that, you know, you pull it out and they're like, that's an awesome thing. I need to have it. I want to have it. Let's go. Exactly. And, and they, uh, you know, with the quail, it's small, yep. it's light. They can pick it up and carry it around. And, you know, it just, they're not dragging it. Uh, some people just, you know, they'll throw out a mallard they've had in the freezer from duck season and yep i mean it's great anyway you can get them around feathers but you can also start to incorporate a lot of bad habits they'll grab it and try to pull it because yep. it's too big for them to pick up and and you know and we're talking about puppies here we're not talking about a dog that's at your trainer or a dog that you're starting formal gun dog training we're just talking yep. about getting a young dog introduced to what feathers are mm-hmm. um you know so fast forward on you give me a dog at, at, at six months old Yes. And it's had no, uh, no bird introduction at all. You know, we'll, we'll do, um, if we're talking labs, retrievers, we do kind of the same thing. Um, you know, we'll incorporate the wings on the bumper Yep. and, you know, where it's not a full blown feather in the mouth, but it's got the scent and it's got the feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we do a lot of that early on getting them introduced to that and then we'll start to uh to break out into my smaller ducks sure i've learned over time you know don't go to north dakota and kill a bunch of big fat (laughs) mallards and let that be the first thing that your young dog tries to pick up you know i mean we we killed some this year that looked like baby canada geese it was wild um you know so we we keep teal and and some smaller ducks wood ducks and stuff like that and I use those specifically for those dogs on the on the beginning side of it. And mm-hmm. you know, we won't get into the whole force fetch side of things no. on making them pick it up. But I I'm a big fan of introducing in a positive environment mm-hmm. before you you really hammer them on what they've got to do. Yes. I like a dog that wants to do it first. Yes. Um and are, when yeah. those 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 smaller ducks, you're still you're still doing frozen, right? Dog that's six mm-hmm. months old, you're pulling a frozen duck out of the freezer. I, I do frozen. Um, now, depending on on the dog, um, we will 
try and thaw them the night before, mm-hmm. you know, just to, so the dog gets a better hold because some dogs don't like to pick up a chunk of ice and I don't blame them. <laughs> the reason I do frozen quail is because they can't really pick at it, you know, yep. Yep. Um, as, as a puppy, because puppies are going to pick and pull. But once we're at, you know, in a gun dog setting, then we, we usually lay out ducks the night before and thaw them out. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they may still be a little cold, but they're, they're pretty flimsy and all. And, uh, you know, we start throwing them early for the dogs. Once, uh, once we've got a dog that, that's starting to run singles that, that understands all the com- concepts leading up to that, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's steady, that's, that delivers to hand, that's at, at heel, that understands what you're asking. Once we've made it through the yard side of things and we've thrown bumpers with feathers and they know what's going on, you know, we start throwing them in our setups and mm-hmm. it's not every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, for me, it's a really important part and I can tell a difference in a dog when I throw ducks versus when I throw bumpers, mm-hmm. you know, I have some dogs that just get plum fired up when they, yep. they smell them in the, on the top of the trailer mm-hmm. and you know, that trailer's louder that day <laughs> and, uh, and the, you know, they get, they get more excited and I like that. And I like being able to take that away from them too and go back to bumpers and still have quality work. Yes. But to know that excitement level is still going to be there the next time you break out the ducks. Yes. Yes. Um, I got a couple you questions know. for you, Cody. Um, All right. So how many days for first, and just because this is the most recent one, how many days a week are you running um, your dogs, your young dogs on actual ducks? Is it two, uh, three? Yeah, it's. I would say closer to closer to two two days a week, probably. Okay. Um, you know, some, some of these big time trainers have deep freezers full of ducks and, and they run on ducks a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we also do it, you know, if we got tests coming up, then we're, we're running on ducks yep. uh, right now. I don't have, you know, I've got one dog running master and, uh, she doesn't have to run on ducks right now, but I don't really have any young dogs running anything anytime soon until probably fall. It's just too hot. We don't mm-hmm. run much in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're going, we're going to see a lot of plastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. and, and, and to me, plastic serves an awesome purpose too, because the smell is not near as strong. Yep. So it kind of dials your marketing a little better, makes yep. them hunt a little more in the area, a little tighter yep. than, uh, you know, going downwind of a duck boom there. Yeah. They're there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the, the bird part is, uh, to me, and I've said it a hundred times, but it takes birds to make a bird dog. And I mean that in retrievers, or pointing dogs, yep. you know, um, especially on the pointing dog side of things. To me, you can get a you can get a duck dog rolling really good without throwing ducks constantly. Yes, yep. You can't get a pointing dog pointing without having birds. Nope, <laughs> no, a, it's yeah. There's a, there's, know, a, there's there's a big difference just because and, I mean there's yep. so many drills and things concepts you can teach a teach a retriever um, with, with bumpers and then, you know, have your ducks at a more limited basis and do the same stuff. And they go, Oh, okay. Makes sense. Um, you know, uh, going back though, I just want to go back and make sure I've got this straight. So you're doing, you've got the wings wrapped around a bumper, right? Then you're Mm -hmm. doing, then you're doing frozen ducks. Um, is that at, are the, are the frozen ducks? Well, we'll call them thawed ducks. Is that 
after the dog has been through force fetch or are you doing it before the dog's been through force fetch? So I've kind of developed a little bit new philosophy on this and I picked it up thanks to Bob over at Lone Duck. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to his podcast and he did, did a really good one on force fetch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, and that's kind of how I was when a dog started force fetch, that's all it was, was force fetch. So it's no retrieving it. Yes. Well, Bob's philosophy, and I don't, I don't personally know Bob, but, um, you know, listen to his stuff and, Bob is really and good. I mean, that's, he, yeah, he's the yeah, gold I, standard I for, so yeah, gun dog podcast. I think so too. And yeah. uh, he's like, you know, I just don't have the time to stop what I'm doing mm-hmm. retrieving-wise during force fetch. He said, so we never stop picking up marks during force fetch. He said, I'm force fetching in the mornings. I'm force fetching in the evenings. We're running marks in the daytime. And he said, you know, the dog go out, pick it up. If it drops it halfway back, it's okay. Bring the dog back, go out, pick up the duck. Mm-hmm. He said, and as time progresses, your dog starts to put two and two together. And, uh, you know, it figures out that, hey, I'm supposed to hold on to this thing. And he said, I don't apply any pressure to them in the field till I know that they understand yep. the pressure I'm applying on the force fetch stable yes. or on the ground, however they do it. And he said, so then there comes a point a few weeks into it where I know that they know what's expected of them. So, mm-hmm we take to the field and if they drop it on the way back or, you know, drop it 10 yards out, then we go pinch your ear or Nick with a collar fetch, mm-hmm. pick it up. And then it clicks. He said, so I don't ever take that time off like some people do. Yep. And so that's kind of how I've started doing things. Um, which brings us back to the point of, do I do live birds after force fetch? I do it during and before. Okay. Um, so that, you know, when it's time to say fetch and present a duck, they know what it is. It's yep. not some wild, crazy, what in the world is he shoving in my mouth? It's something they already like and want, hopefully. Yep. You know, yep. and it just makes it that much easier. Mm-hmm. It's um, uh, you're building a bridge for the dog, right? So they yeah, can connect you, you the are. dots. I, I'm a big fan of, of helping them any way you can. You know, I, I don't believe there's a one-size-fits-all program for every dog. I feel like most of them will fall into it. Mm-hmm. But some of them, a little slower, maybe not as talented, need that bridge. They need that. Um, and, and you get the dogs that just don't handle pressure as well. Yep. And, uh, you know, if they've already picked up a duck or they've realized, hey, these ducks are good, I like these, and you've moved through force fetch and now you present that duck and they already want it and they already know what it is and you don't have that mm, no you know that head going to the side i'm not putting that in my mouth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah no it makes it makes a ton of sense ton of sense um all right so you know i mean is it is it that simple though with with your duck dogs where it's you know um wings around the bumper then you're frozen ducks and then you're running, you know, setups, running marks with frozen ducks a couple times a week. And that's pretty much all you need. Uh, in the dream world. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it goes that well for a lot of dogs for, yeah. for me. I, I've, um, you know, like I said, I try and start them early mm-hmm. and, and slow and get them build up their confidence. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've noticed, I just sent a dog home back to Auburn and, uh, 
she was a nice little dog, came from a nice breeding. Um, both parents were HRCH dogs, and she was the run of the litter. And I think I sent her home at 11 months old, and she's like 40 pounds, tiny dog. Yeah, wow. <clears throat> so we're moving through, and she never really liked feathers. Just something about it, she didn't like it. Everything else was going great, and I was like, well, you know what? <clears throat> I'm not going – she was soft, so I'm not going I'm not going to pressure. We'll just keep throwing bumpers, and we'll throw a duck every now and then. <clears throat> and so what I wound up having to do with her, I went through the same introduction I do with all my dogs. Most of them just pick it up, and they love it. And she would, she would pick up the bumpers with the wings on, no problem. Mm-hmm. It was just the whole duck kind of freaked her out. Mm-hmm. So I would take her to water, no pressure, just – playing around and I'd throw a duck in the water and she'd swim out there to it, push it around with her nose, come back. Okay. No problem. Send another dog to get it and do the same thing. And one day, you know, doing this, she went from, I hate ducks to, I don't want to pick up anything but a duck. (laughs) And, um, you know, by adding the competition level to it, Mm -hmm. Hey, another dog's just, went out there to get what I was supposed to get. She knew she was supposed to get it. Mm-hmm. And th- this was previous to force fix. Like I said, this was, you know, yep. just starting off, just introducing them to them. Yep. And so I took her to the water. And and the reason the water to me is important with a dog like that is they don't have room to go play with it. Oh, that's, they swim that's out interesting. There. Yeah. They swim out there. They either have to pick it up and come back to the shore or not. You know, they're not going to sit out there and swim in circles and play with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know that that falls under any method other than experience I've had with dogs that were reluctant to pick up a bird at first. I've all 99% of the time I can get them to pick it up out of water. Interesting. Get them used to that. Yep. And, you know, because on land, they run out there, sniff, and they're like, well, you know, yep. maybe that's not my thing. So, anyway, with her, that's, that's what we did. And, uh, Literally, you know, 20, 30 minutes, she was picking them up, bringing them right back. And then, you know, from then on, we were good. But it's all about introduction and, and doing something to set that dog up to be successful. You can you can force and you can make a dog pick up anything. I definitely believe that and I believe in that. But yep. if you can help that dog get to that point, you're helping yourself in the long run. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're helping that dog. Yeah, so. absolutely. The, the water thing is really interesting because, you know, I've only done it and only seen, seen it done on land. And, you know, usually it's like, a you're, you know, you're getting them all fired up, frozen bird, you kind of toss it out there real close or whatever. Um, they'll run over to it. They may sniff it or whatever. And then you just keep getting them excited, picking it up a little bit more. And you just sort of like build their confidence with excitement. Yep. Um, and, and, and that's it, what, that's where I start with. And that's yeah. what I hope works. And, you know, a, another thing I, I pull out of my upland arsenal mm-hmm. is we usually keep some pigeons around. Okay. Um, I was going to ask about training. that. Yeah, we'll, we'll shackle some pigeons and, and uh, you know, throw them out there, really get them fired up for those dogs that maybe need a little increased prey drive or need sure. a little something else. Um, shackled pigeon will do, do wonders for them. Mm-hmm. But I will say, you know, you got to be careful because I've, I've seen people do it and I've done it with a, uh, a softer dog that maybe is a little weary of feathers to begin with. It freaks them out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they get over there and get slapped in the face a couple times with those <laughs> wings. Not every dog's got the instinct to just grab it. Then they're like, oh, crap, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, we we do that with dogs that need it. Um, not something I do all the time, but uh, definitely got that in the backup arsenal. But, yeah, the water thing has worked for me with a lot of dogs, um, you know, that, that had – and I also use it with dogs that – <clears throat> that maybe are not the don't have the biggest drive mm-hmm. factor to it and i, I kind of you know do the same thing with them to put a little charge in their step um mm-hmm. you know with another dog that's trying to get their duck yes um yeah. competition is know. an amazing thing it um, is and like i said this is all introduction stuff this is not a dog that's that's been here for three months and you know, this is just, I just got a fresh dog in. We're just, yep. we're working on obedience. We're setting the stage for what's to come. We're doing an introduction of feathers. We're just trying to get this dog ready for what it's going to see over the next four or five months. And, you know, any way I can help that dog get comfortable with what its job's fixing to be before we start hammering down the other things. Um, you know, that's, that's just a few things I do with them. Mm-hmm. No, it uh, no, it makes a ton of sense. And I'm, I'll tell a quick story about the whole competition thing real quick, because that's, I first saw that when my dog was, I was doing intro to water. He was six, seven months old. I waited till the water was really warm because I wanted a positive experience. I had a bumper. I tossed it into the water, you know, like two feet in, then four feet in and then six feet. So his, you know, you know, feet stopped touching the bottom. He swam out there, whatever. I'm like, okay, great. You know, and there's another guy down at this lake that I'm at and he's chucking a tennis ball. And he's got one of those little arm things that chucks a tennis ball, like 40, 50 yards out there. <laughs> and my dog is like watching that. Right. And he comes back after he swimmed for the first time or whatever. And he watches that tennis ball go out. He sees that other dog hammer the water and he just takes off swimming right after him. <laughs> So he'd been in the water, you know, three times, one time with his feet not touching. And he's like, I'm gone. You know, yep, I got it. I got it. Swims out there 40 or 50 yards. My wife is like, Tyler, get ready to swim. And it's like, you know, <laughs> you're going in after him. What she doesn't realize is that he's a much better swimmer than I am. I mean, I think I failed swimming lessons after level four or something like that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, people, people take for granted the fact that, dogs are competitors too yeah. um i mean you know we're we're asking them to to play a competitive game and mm-hmm. and the ones that end up being pretty good at it are often the ones that are competitive so you know when you can bring that side out of them too it's just all the better for you and the dog mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely um all right let's let's move over to upland now um because i think this is this is interesting i know you do a ton of work with with pointers and cockers um you know, I, and, you know, I think a lot of the stuff you're going to talk about with Upland is also going to apply to retrievers that it, people it are does. taking on the and, Upland field. And, and people, you know, in your part of the world, y'all do a lot of Upland hunting with your yes. retrievers. Yes. I do as well, but it's not as common down here in the South. You know, mm-hmm. most of my phone calls are, I want a duck dog. Yep. You know, that's, that's exactly how it's phrased. And that's what we try and get. Um, but my pointing dog, my flushing dog, side of things is the same thing with my puppies you know if i have a puppy here 
they're getting frozen quail right off the bat running around playing with them Mm -hmm. um you know and and we're going to break this down into pointing dogs and flushing dogs okay because it's once we get past this it's two separate things Mm -hmm. um so for my flushing dogs um we work on retrieving stuff obviously um but we build the drive to flush and we build the drive to chase mm-hmm. and we do that with you know most of the time we try and do pigeons because they come back <laughs> versus <laughs> versus the quail that <laughs> gets expensive but you know sometimes you take what you can get um hawks play play a big role on your pigeons from time to time but we'll use um you know if you want to do it simple for the average guy that's not wanting to spend a ton of money you can just get the foot traps or, you know, put sure, the yep. pigeon under that metal foot trap. Yep. And uh, we, we tie a string to it. Um, heck, I've used just a, a mesh laundry sack before, a little small one, mm-hmm. put a pigeon in. Go hide it in something thick. Take your cocker, take your whatever you want to flush with. And this is where we introduce, in my opinion, the most important command for a flushing dog. And that's either, however you want to say it, get them up, hunt them up, put them up. And we start walking towards that. And mm-hmm. we let, we're let we letting them hunt. Yep. And they don't know what it means, but mm-hmm. you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so I tell them, you know, I'll walk close and I'll say, get them up. And walk them to the bird. And then they'll go over there and find whatever it is. And if you're the guy with the foot trap or – You've got the laundry sack. You let them get in there and just go nuts on that thing, trying to get that bird out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll go up, sniff, and jump back, sniff, and jump back. Mm-hmm. And they know what the pigeon is, but they're like, why is it in there? And what's it doing? And it's moving, and, but it's not flying. And, and you know, you have that, but it's still something that's building their drive and building their desire to get whatever's underneath that or get what is ever in that. Mm-hmm. If we're using a foot trap, or you know some people use drop boxes um but or a you know a box yep when we get that dog getting fired up i pull it and let the bird fly off and i let the dog chase it yeah yep and you know let him hammer it down and it usually doesn't take a lot of repetition at that before the dog's like okay I, i i know what i'm after i know what i'm doing and you'll notice that hunt gets a little heavy Mm-hmm. And then quartering back and forth trying to find something when you go to wherever you're going. And I try and keep it in smaller sections of cover to begin with because you want them to be able to hunt for a little bit, but but get on what they're after. Yep. Um, you know, so same thing, repetition, put another pigeon down. Or what I try and do is I'll set up three or four all over the course so we can roll down through there, hunt them up, get them up, pull it, let them chase. Yep. And then go to the next one, get them back under control. Go to the next one. Same mm-hmm. thing. Same mm-hmm. thing. And uh, never let them catch it. Yep. Always make letting them chase. Okay. We we can work on sit the flush. We can get all that dialed in. But if that you know if that hard flush, if that excitement's not there, I, in in all reality, that's why flushing dogs get sold because they don't have a hard flush. Mm-hmm. They tiptoe around, and I think that is done by just not enough chasing, not yeah. enough bird introduction to hunt and find and really try and dig that thing out yep um, yeah it's prey drive yeah. i mean you're turning on the yeah. prey drive that chase instincts 
I mean, that's and, what it is. And a lot of people kind of get freaked out. And to me, they jump on sit, stay, no. Yep. Way too early instead of let the dog chase it. Mm-hmm. You know, and to back up a step, if you got a dog that's a little unsure, just take that pigeon in your hand, play around with it in front of the dog you're chasing, and then throw it in there and let them chase. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't have to be, you don't have to have a foot trap to get that initial, uh, you know, step going on. Sure. Um, and then over time, you know, you can replace it with a quail and, and shoot it once mm-hmm. you go through the gun introduction stuff. But we're not anywhere close to that right now. We're, we're finding birds. Yep. We're going in on command and we're chasing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's to me, that's how you build, you start building a flushing dog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they understand what you're saying, what get them up means, what, whatever means. Um, and you got two different styles of, of, you got people that hunt with flushing dogs only. They don't run corners with them. Yes. So, so those people, you know, you'll want a good quarter and you'll want that dog work in the field and, and most people will kind of teach that dog to hold a little bit before the flush so that if it gets out there, yes, yep. um, you know, or you teach the dog to work close. Yep. Um, for me in the guiding business, our, my flush dogs, I run pointing dogs and my flush dogs walk at heel with us. And when the dogs point, I send the flush dog in, the dog flushes and retreats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's how we do it. But all my, all my personal flush dogs also, you know, they'll get out and hunt on their own. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, and, and it's just a technique built over time. As far as introducing them to that side of things, which is the topic we're on. Yes. Is those foot traps and chasing is yep. so key for, you know, for a flush dog. Yeah. Um, do you ever, do you ever pluck flight feathers, toss a bird on the ground and let them, let them chase it like that? I know you said I, you don't want them to catch it though. So I do, uh, I'll shackle them. Okay. Or like zip tie their wings. I don't pluck their flight feathers because I may need to, you know, yeah, yep. use them for something else. So I can still get the same effect without killing their ability to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if we're shooting live flyers and stuff or with mallards or we're using live flyers, maybe not shooting them all, we'll we'll clip those um, and, and zip tie their feet mm-hmm. so that they can't run off and they can't fly off. But the dogs are picking up a live duck. Yep. Um, but as far as my pigeons, we just shackle or zip tie. Sure. I mean, you can technically, you can just lock their wings without using any of it um, to throw it around. And when they're puppies, like when we're first doing the introduction stuff, I don't mind them catching. Yeah. But as we, as, when we're talking flush dogs and we're getting to the, uh, the side where they're fixing to start putting pieces together, I don't want them to catch it. I want them to chase because I want them to focus on getting in there as hard and fast as they can so that they think they can catch it by busting them out of there got it got it okay you know? got it that may that makes sense right there's because the... you can develop a bad habit especially with preserved birds yeah. of dogs that want to start catching them you know i want it to be about the chase more than the catch because mm-hmm. if if you get a dog that starts catching them sometimes it's hard to break them out of that habit yeah yeah and if you get a, a bunch of bad birds too at the preserve too they don't yeah. want to fly you can develop some oh yeah yeah. Speaking from experience, my dog's caught uh, plenty of birds in his day. Um, not all his fault. Um, so just you just get some that don't fly, and and he just pops his head in there, and they don't move, and it's like okay, easy pickings. <laughs> yep, that's ex- that's exactly right. And it's funny. I've got a couple dogs that that you know they they've been doing it for a while. And they 
they figured out the game and and uh, some of them just go in with reckless abandon they just oh yeah but some of them their their goal is to catch a bird that's what they want to do mm-hmm. and you can see them they'll get up and, and they're trying to analyze which way are these birds going to come out when i hit them you, you can just watch them kind of moving their head around and uh <laughs> it's I've it's kind of funny. I ran a bunch of young bird dogs this year. My personal dogs, they were just a little over a year old uh, pointing dogs. So what I started doing with them is I'd run them by their self and I'd run two flush dogs just to keep that pointing dog hunting for itself and not getting an issue where you've got a dominant dog and the other one's just following that one around, you know, making them find their own birds. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, I got a couple that, that hunt really good together and I try and keep, keep them paired up that way. And they would come in on opposite sides. Like they had figured out, I could say, get them up. And, you know, Dixie would come in the front, Ace will circle around behind and come in every time. And, you know, just, <laughs> I guess they, they had their little conversation on how they were going to do things. And their best chance to, to catch a bird was if we come in at both angles, one of us might get one. Um, but it was, it was pretty funny to watch them pick up on those little things over time. I got another one that kind of does the same thing. But she'll do it. <clears throat> she does it whether it's just her flushing. This is a lab. If the dogs are pointed, no matter what we've got, she's going to go around and come in facing the pointing dogs. She won't go in beside them. She comes around and comes from the backside, mm-hmm. which oftentimes, you know, puts up a pretty good flush because the birds come out and there's a dog on both sides. And they yes. go up and get you out. pinch them. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it works out nice, but it's just, it's just something she kind of picked up, but that's, you know, yeah. the, the flush dog's all about the chase for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. It's funny how they, uh, how they pick up on things, how quick they are, how perceptive they are though. Um, and how they will change their behavior to get what they desire, what they want. Yep. <laughs> You're exactly right. So we'll, we'll change gears and get to the pointing dogs real yes. quick. If you want yep. to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where you can get into to a lot of debate on how to train a pointing dog because there's a lot of different ways and everybody, you know, has got different ways they do it. Um, but this first one is a hot topic. I'm sure you've heard wing on a string. Yes. Yes. Um, some people are huge proponents of wing on a string. Some people are absolutely not. No way. Um, I do believe there is a place for it, mm-hmm. but I also believe that for the most part, your dogs are pointing by sight, not by smell. Yes. It makes sense. Um, you know, but you're still developing some tools for that dog that's going to go into the big scheme of things in developing a point and mm-hmm. holding it. Um, so I do it. I don't do it a ton, but I do do it when they're puppies. Um, and I do it as a way to introduce a scent. Yep. And you know, with a, with a pointing dog bird introduction has a different meaning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not introducing feathers in the mouth. You're not introducing the retrieve of a feathered bird. You're introducing the smell. Does that make sense? Makes it makes it makes a ton of sense because you're yeah. because their job's different. Yes, exactly. You want them to retrieve, and you'll get to that. But if your dog won't point, 
you're never going to have to worry about the retreat. (laughs) 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 It's not even going to be a factor. Um, So the bird introduction part is still a lot like it would be with a retriever or a flush dog. But the reasoning behind it is different. You're introducing smell. Mm -hmm. And you want that smell to mean something to them and to trigger a natural response. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my mentors that has helped me through the bird dog world has always told me, you know, when you're dealing with bird dogs, buy two if you can. He said, because there's a chance one of them's going to be a lot better than the other. <laughs> and he said, and they're usually cheaper. <laughs> um, but the reason in, behind that was it's a very instinctual thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, for a dog to point if that scent doesn't mean anything to them if it doesn't trigger a natural response you're going to have a lot of work and sometimes they're just not going to make yes a functional bird hunting dog Mm -hmm. whereas when we're talking about retrievers yes you need natural ability but you're going to teach 90 percent of what you want that dog to do yes Mm -hmm. you know i mean at the end of the day retrieving retriever work to, to me it is harder to train retrievers than it is to train point dogs mm-hmm. because you're relying on your training ability to get that dog where it needs to be versus pointing dog you're relying a lot on natural ability and once you get the natural ability down then your job as a trainer comes in to really fine-tune everything get a dog that's able to be hunted over but uh you know my bird introduction for pointers is is scent driven. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll start with wing on a string, and like I said, they're not smelling it as much as they're seeing it, but yep. they're still smelling. Yeah. How and early How early do you start that, and then when do you phase it out? I start it when they're when they get up and get to moving good, and they're playing around. Let's say eight to ten weeks old. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll break it out and short quick sessions and you know drag it around hopefully they stop if not drag it around long enough eventually they'll stop and then i pick it up good good dog good dog and do that a few times until they kind of get to well it's really a short process because once they figure out what they're supposed to be doing as soon as you break it out lay it on the ground they're gonna look at it and stop Mm-hmm. And if you watch Facebook videos or YouTube and all that stuff, people will show you, look, my eight-week-old's pointing. Now your eight-week-old's seeing it and stopping. Yes. I mean, yes, it may be pointing, but, you know, so as soon as we get that down, I that's when I introduce the word, whoa. It's not a formal whoa broke or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But when they begin to put two and two together that, hey, I see that, I'm stopping, I'm pointing it whoa so now they're like okay he said that i'm stopped yep he told me good dog yep awesome yep so we run through that phase pretty quick and then we start doing planted birds um and everything's done with a check cord 30 foot 60 foot whatever you feel like dealing with but everything from that point on when we start planting birds is done with a dog under control i don't do it with a collar because i want my dogs on birds at a young age and i don't think that a three-month-old dog is ready to be on a collar would agree um, i would agree are you half hitching them too sometimes it really okay. depends on 
what which dog I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them just on the collar is enough. Some of them you need a half inch to really really cinch down on them <laughs> to get them um, to stop some of them are strong yeah <laughs> yeah and, and they are and, and you know every dog is which i'm a i'm a big setter guy um and you know some people think setters are just kind of clumsy long-haired whatever but mine are not like that at all i've got some burners um and Setters are you know, beautiful they, their their points are just yeah they've got some style with them yeah. they, I, I i love the tail i love the the hair except for when we find cocoa birds that I don't love it here as much <laughs> um but anyway we'll start on that check cord on planted birds and we take them out to the field this is another reason I don't do it in the summer anymore um I mean I would my personal dog but I'm also not paying myself mm-hmm. and I know how much time I can really get out of it but it, when things start to green up it gets a lot harder for a dog to smell yes um so ideally you're working in cooler weather or dead grass or something, but I plant a bird, I put them on that check cord and I take them over in the general direction and I let them pull and I let them go left and right. I let them work. I'm good with that. That's Mm -hmm. ultimately what you want. Um, you know, I don't ever take them out on a six foot leash and walk them to the bird. That's not what you want. You want that dog out working, moving. I'm good with a dog that pulls. Once again, this is bird dogs. This is not retrievers. Um, completely different gear here. Yep. So we work it, trying to always keep them downwind of it to help them out. Once you get close, make sure on down the one side, and then you get them close to that bird, and you start teaching based on their reaction. Um, some of them smell it, and they go right in for it. You know, and boom, I, I know what that is. I've smelled that wing before. Mm-hmm. Others others will smell it and they kind of stop and that's when i give them a whoa and i pull the tension back on it to try and keep them there as long as i can and this is just a quick little introduction you know once again we're, we're dealing with young dogs here and uh i try and have two or three birds out at a time at this point in time i'm not i'm not kicking them up i'm not releasing them um good dog good dog i'll pick the dog up carry it down the waist, put it back on the ground. We'll get to hunting again. Really? Fast okay. forward. Okay. Fast Go forward ahead. a couple weeks or a week, depending on how fast your dog's picking up on things. And then we start letting the bird go. And we okay. do the same thing we did. Now here's the difference is once the dog is knowing, Hey, that's the scent I'm after. I'm, I'm pointing where I begin to lengthen my point and establish the steadiness, <clears throat> I'll drop that check cord. Like I said, you know, every dog's different. I've had dogs that, that came in and, and locked up. And I mean, within a week, they were, they were pretty steady for five to 10 seconds before they were going in after the bird. Mm-hmm. This is when I start to use popper boxes on a remote or, you know, like I said, a foot trap with a string, yep. any way you can do it. So that dog's still on the check cord, but you've dropped it or you've, gave it freedom and when that dog's pointing you're whoa you can go pet it you know same thing you would do when it's on a barrel mm-hmm. when that dog goes to break you release the bird and you can let it chase mm-hmm. that's fine then you know your pigeon will go back to where it's at and you you let the dog chase and then that's when i do my winnow 
whistle introduction. Usually by this point in time, you know, we've got a five-month-old dog that's worked up to a collar with a beat, and we whistle it back in and get it back, and we'll go work to the next bird. Yeah. And usually your point will be a little bit longer. And then over time, they figure out, if I stand here and don't move, I get to keep this bird pinned down. Uh-huh. If I move and I creep, my bird goes away. Uh-huh. And, you know, you can develop. You can add time. You can add seconds on your point until you get to the, you know, a month or two in, you get to a dog that's a pretty steady dog on the scent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start to add other factors in, like you walking in front of the dog on point. Sure, yeah. Um, and then, you know, the ultimate ultimate test for any dog is a dog that's steady to flush. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that comes later on. Yes. But now you're taking that flusher, that you've worked on building that drive, that little firecracker, and you got this pointing dog, and you want that pointing dog to stay on point while this other dog runs in front of it Uh to get its prize that it's trained itself (laughs) not to go get. (laughs) That's that's why you're the professional and you do it it like that, because that's something that's, that's some advanced stuff right there. Um, It, you know, it it takes a little while for the, for that to click. And that, you know, we go back to a check cord for that or a belly collar. I'm a huge fan of belly collar Yep. on a dog. Kind of gives you your half hitch mm-hmm. pressure without, you know, as much pressure needed. Yes. So to speak. Um, but yeah, it, you know, the, the bird introduction, that's a, that's a completely separate style game from any kind of retriever. Yeah. Um, and that's the best way I know how to put it. And, and like I said, Everybody trains dogs differently, especially yes. pointing dogs. Yes. I mean, if you if you got six bird dog guys in the room, five of them would probably tell the, the other ones that they're idiots and they, you can't train a dog that way. Yeah. And you know, that's just that's just the way it is. Everybody has had somebody different show them, you know, yep. that, how to do one and, and that's the only way to do it. I've got, you know, there's some guys that they spend a ton of time on a woe post or on mm-hmm. a barrel. And that's the way that they, they break their dogs. And that's not how I do mine. Mm-hmm. And I've got some nice dogs. And I mean, obviously I make a living running my dogs and most of them have never been on a barrel outside yeah. of the one that's in their dog house. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they all hold, they're all steady to flush. So there's, there's several different ways to get to get to the uh, end game on a point dog retrievers to me. Like I was saying earlier is, is, uh, there's a lot more, there's a lot more structured programs. And yeah. over time, the programs have gotten a lot better. I mean, there's a couple, um, there's a couple variables in there, but for the most part, if you, if you look at a training program, um, you know, it's going to be pretty cut and dry. They may call it different things and yeah. they may have different styles to introduce certain things, but at the end of the day, it's going to be, yeah, you know, pretty cut and dry this is what you do this is how you do it yep it it really is it really is the retriever programs are all essentially based off of the program that rex Carr developed Um, yep you're exactly right you know so i i want to go back to to the upland bird upland dogs or your pointing dogs a couple of couple of thoughts there you made the the comment real early on that it takes a lot of birds to make a a bird dog especially pointers Mm -hmm. and you know 
uh, you laid out your process for bird introductions. There's a lot of that dog. There's a lot of bird contacts for that dog in that process totally. itself. Um, a ton. Yep. A ton. And then with live birds, that's yes. a kicker. Yes. And that's what makes, uh, that's what makes upland training. Um, expensive. <laughs> more expensive. And, and from a trainer's standpoint is a lot more work goes into it because, you know, if I, if I take a dog and we're going to run a, a flushing circuit with three birds. Well, I got to go catch three birds, mm-hmm. take them, put them out, set them up, run that dog on them. Then it's time to reset that thing where, you know, retriever, you got uh, 30 ducks out there. You just keep throwing them until you're out. Bumpers, yep. you're out. Yep. But, you know, like I stated before, retrievers are a lot more on the trainer. Yep. To me, pointing dogs and flushing is a lot more instinctual for the yes. dog. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, and then the last thing, last thing that I noticed too, or that I, I wrote this down is you have the bird, the puppy, um, you know, you're introducing the bird on the string and you introduce woe at that point real early on. Right. It doesn't yep, mean just, anything, but it's right, but it's real, real subtle. And I, I, I was thinking, um, or I'm thinking of, um, that's really similar to the way that Bill Hillman introduces fetch to his retrievers yep. where he gets them exactly all fired the up. Same concept. Yeah. You know, they're four or five months old. They're all fired up and they jump for, and he pops it in their mouth and says fetch. And then when he gets to force fetch, there's a, there's a, there's some type of connotation there for the dog where they're like, Oh, I've heard this before. And same thing right. when you get to the field. Um, yep. And, and, and that's what it is across all levels of dog training for me is, the earlier you can introduce concepts to a dog um, and then have a general understanding of, of what's going on, the better off you're going to be. Yep. You know, I, <clears throat> I took in a dog yesterday that, and I'm up front with everybody that sends me a dog. I took one in yesterday that was, uh, he's three years old, just turned three. And he's been attempted to be trained for a pointing dog since he was young. Okay. Um, he just hadn't had a lot of time spent with him. And anyway, he got sold to this other guy. And now this guy's decided he wants to turn him into a duck dog. And so all the words and verbiage and things that he may have picked up and learned through his first three years of life mm-hmm. are fixing to go out the window. Mm-hmm. And I've told him your success rate on this is probably going to be extremely low. But, you know, he bought the dog and he said, I want to give him a chance. And, you know, if he doesn't do anything, then oh, well. But if he can, great. So I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. As long as you have that expectation coming in and understand the chances of him doing anything. I usually don't take dogs at that age um, for gun dog training, you know, that that haven't had it before just because I feel like you're so far behind the eight ball. Yeah. Um, yeah but this one has had some training before uh just like i said completely different world but so he's gonna be at a disadvantage versus most dogs because he all these words i'm gonna be introducing to him and the sit still part is gonna be the hardest yeah you know because the last thing you want in a in a bird dog is a dog that sits still mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you want a dog that runs mm-hmm. and uh you know so it'll it'll be interesting but you know back to what you were saying any verbal cue you can start i mean most people can have their puppy sitting in two weeks after they get it yeah yes and it's not because that dog's world class it's because that dog figured out what sit means Uh so my thought process has always been 
with Woe, why not introduce it early? When you want a dog to stop, say Woe. Mm-hmm. And that dog is going to kind of pick up on, okay, that means stop. So then when you start putting birds in front of it and you introduce that back in there, it knows what it means and understands the expectation. Mm-hmm. Then you just have to reinforce the expectation, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, it, yeah. It makes so much sense. I, I'm thinking that's, that's something I got to start for later on. If I ever buy a, uh, a pointer, um, maybe not. We, but... uh, and we, we hit on that. I think the last podcast we did yeah. you know, with, with my flush dogs on, they know what woe is too. Yes. They've never been taught woe. Yep. But they know what woe is from being around the bird dogs, and they all stop. You know, I can say it one time, and every dog in the field stops and holds whatever position they got uh-huh. until told otherwise. Yep. So, yep. You know, it, it's one of those things that that really, really, I try and start as soon as possible, just getting it in their ear on what woe is, and and to me, it's helped me make a lot better bird dogs. But you know, at the end of the day, it, it takes time and repetition along with anything else you're not going to tell a dog at 10 weeks old to whoa with a wing on a string and then take it out in the field with a pigeon say whoa and it just stand there that's not yeah 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 nope (laughs) you know absolutely not and i think that's the uh... when when you put that half hitch and you do cinch it down and you say whoa then it's like okay i get it my bad i I know where we're supposed to be now yep 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 and it's a little bit of it's a it's a correction and they go oh yeah yep Oops. it's exactly what it is it's correction and you know some people feel like the only way to make corrections is with a collar and, and you know I, I love a collar that's corrections at distance but yes when you're starting dogs off you know you can make correction lots of ways yep yep there's there's a whole bunch of tools to to use to correct dogs um the collar is the one that's most used and probably overused hundred uh, percent, you know, um, there's other ways to do it. And I mean, the, the other thing too, is you said the collar is, you know, for making correction at distance, hundred percent allows you to reach out at hundred yards and touch your dog. When your dogs are young, you, uh, they're not, they shouldn't be out at hundred yards because distance no. erodes your control and you need them a it's, little bit closer than that. You're a hundred percent correct. And I think that's where people that are training their own dogs. Um, and I'm sure we've all been guilty of it at some point, yep. you get a new dog and, man, he's picking up some, he's five months old. He's picking up some marks, you know? Yep. And, uh, and then, you know, you, you take him to water and you start throwing those, watch, watch this. He can pick up a 150 yard mark on water. Yep. And next thing you know, he's cheated the bank halfway down and, and you're like, Oh dang, I wish he wouldn't do that. Well, <laughs> you got him 150 yards away and he can do what the heck he wants. <laughs> Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Bingo. <laughs> But boy, he picked it up at 150 yards. I can't wait to go tell all my buddies. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait. And then he got on the way back, he doesn't even touch the water. <laughs> no, no, that or, or the he picks it up and takes off running the other way. Oh, yes. You know, yep. And you can't do anything about it because he's so far out distance. Yep. And I mean, it, it it's just, I, I heard this and I can't remember where I heard it. I was listening to something. I, I think it was when I was going to Oklahoma. I went to Oklahoma a couple weeks ago, picked up a little English cocker from out there. But anyway, it said, uh, it said a man's pride is an awful heavy load for a dog to carry. And man, that, that yeah. hit home because, yep. you know, you know, especially training retrievers, 
you show up to the field with a bunch of guys and their dogs and everybody's got the best dog in the field and and, you know that's what happens when when people train their own dogs and stuff they get out there and they start pushing the limits yep and uh yep you know a lot of things go out the window yeah i've seen that a ton at like you know uh uh, club training days and stuff. And, you know, everybody, you know, everybody shows up and, you know, they try to do too much for what their dog's prepared for because they want to show everybody, you know, how good their dog is and they want to win training day. And and it's not, (laughs) (laughs) I've been there. I've been guilty. You're all, you know, like, Oh, my dog's got to look good. And it's like, no, just show up and, and have a plan. And, uh, you know, go do what you got to do. So yep. it's easier to teach small and correct yes. small than teach big and, and have to correct big. Yep. You know, put, it's like a puzzle, um, you know, put the pieces together, no matter what you're doing, yep. retrievers, pointing dogs, flushing dogs, um, you know, put the pieces together the right way and it'll come together. It's not always going to come together as fast as you want it, but it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yep. And that's the hardest thing that I see. Doesn't matter what dog I'm training for people. Yep. You know, they call and they ask, how long is it going to take? Yep. And, you know, I throw out a generalization, but, I mean, you might as well start the timer that day mm-hmm. for, for some people. Um, oh, yeah. They, they don't get it that it's – you're going to – There's. I've, I've never trained a dog, even my favorite dog, my best dog, I've never had one that there wasn't a hiccup somewhere that we had yes. one three that yep. slowed everything down. Yep. Um, you know, I've had dogs that were running finish level marks before we even, you know, got all the way through force fetch. Yep. But we're terrible with blind stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you get it. And that's what people, that's what happens to a lot of people. They get out there and they're like, well, shoot, man, this dog's, this dog's picking them up. Doesn't matter where you throw them, he'll go pick them up. We're fixing to go run finished. And I'm like, well, he's not even running a, I mean, it's really not even running a blind. He's still running at that white pole out there, but y'all go wear it out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, it's just, it takes a lot of pieces to, to put a puzzle together. And I'm by no means a world class trainer. I, I've kind of felt my way through this and, and had some good help along the way. And, and like I said, I, I train gun dogs for a living. I don't train master hunters or field trial dogs or, you know. I mean, you, you, you do train master hunters. And we were just talking before yeah. about, I mean, you, a dog you have that's, you know, has, you know, is picking up finished passes up in Wisconsin. So, um, you know, don't sell yourself short, Cody, is my, my Well, it, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot, a lot of people out there that are a lot better at it than me, but we make our way through it. And, and like I said, my clientele for the most part, which I love because I'm a hunter at heart. And, and yep. you know, that's same, you know, I've, I train with some guys and, and they, uh, you know, they, they train for clients that don't hunt and their dog will never see a duck outside of a hunt test. Yep. And that's not why I got into training. And, yep. I, you know, that's not how I ever plan on making my living. <laughs> I love, I love the hunt. Yep. And there's nothing like it for me when a client sends you a picture of, you know, them and their dog when they're first hunting. They may send you a picture of two hen wood ducks. And they've got a smile from ear to ear on their face. And, you know, if their dog went out there and picked it up and brought it back to them, man, that's that's what they wanted. And they're so happy. Yep. Yep. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I run, I run on tests. I run on tests for fun. It gives me something to do an excuse to play Hunting. with my dog during the summer. Um, but in the end it's about, it's about hunting season. It's definitely yep. about hunting season. So it is. Um, let's, uh, Which let's, is- let's put a bow on this episode though. I know you've got stuff to do. Um, you know, um, I've got to, I got to get logged into work here. Let's do a quick rapid fire session and then we'll, uh, um, we'll, uh, wrap things up here and we can get on with our day. Sounds good, man. All right. So, uh, my first question for you is, and this is rapid fire. So, um, if you recall last time, I'm going to shoot out a whole bunch of random questions and you just shout out the first thing that comes to mind. First answer. All right. Um, all right. First one is, are you a sweet tea drinker? Uh, kind of, I used to be a lot, a lot bigger sweet tea drinker. Okay. Now I'm, uh, you know, old and fat. So I'm more of a half and half teacher. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's uh, okay. All right. I find that anytime I take a trip um, south where they have sweet tea, I consume copious amounts of it. So that's where that question comes from. <laughs> it's not, there's not many places in Wisconsin that have sweet tea. That blows my mind. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. Um, about how many hours a day are you putting in during the summer with your personal dogs and your client dogs? Two separate answers. Um, client dogs get way more time in yep. the summer than my personal dogs. My yep. personal dogs kind of take the back burner till we start getting ready for either a test or, um, like for instance, I'm fixing to go down there and load the dog trailer right now, and I'll put on seven client dogs and one of my dogs. Sure, um, just a younger dog to get some work. Um, I would say right now, total, um, probably four, four hours, five hours a day, but it's not consecutive. Yep. You know, we're fixing to go out here right now, and we'll train. We're getting a little late start, but we'll train from eight till ten, ten thirty. Um, and then we'll go put them up and then we'll get them back out this evening and do some uh, yard work and stuff like that with them. So, you know, I think a lot of people have a misconception when you send your trainer to the dog, that trainer's spending eight hours a day with your dog and mm-hmm. A, your dog can't do that. And B, it's pointless. Um, but, you know, four, four or five hours um, spread out. Yes. Like I said, we'll in the morning, get a couple hours in. And, and when I say a couple hours, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to s- throw a set of marks and we're going to run every dog on that set of marks. So your dog's going to pick up those marks and go back in the trailer and wait yep. to the, you know, whatever the next phase is. So yep. take that four hours, however you want to, but. Yep. Um, but it's, it, know. those are, those are quality reps. It's quality over quantity. Right. And that's what I try to explain to, to clients is they're like, oh, so you, you know, you don't throw them like 20, 30 marks at a time. Like I'm going to do when I get him back. <laughs> and I'm like, no, because in reality, you're going to duck hunt in Alabama. So you're going to have some wood ducks come in at first light. And you're going to shoot two or three of them. Bang, bang, bang. That dog's going to go pick them up. And then you're going to sit there for about 15 or 20 minutes. And, you know, hopefully some more ducks show up. You're going to shoot them. And then after that, it's probably going to be about 30 or 40 minutes. And then some more are going to come up. So we're simulating an environment that he's going to hunt in. It's not picking up bam 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 constantly yeah it's a few good reps quality reps and then back in the trailer yeah and it's you know that's a really good analogy but i mean there's more to it in that after your dog gets running a set of marks they need to reset and refresh they're they're sucking air i mean you know well i heard once again uh another podcast i was listening to 
um, uh, a buddy of mine that trains down in uh, Tuscaloosa, and he's a awesome trainer. I mean, trained some fine dogs. He had a guy on from Canada that pretty much was his mentor, and he was uh, Lauren Elijah Van, I believe, is, is the guy's name from Canada. Anyway, and he was saying, he said, dogs learn in the kennel. He said, you teach them in the field and you give them time to think about what they were just taught. Yes. He said, you know, you go out and run one set of marks, put them up, change the set of marks and run something different. They didn't, they don't, they didn't learn anything. You know, mm-hmm. they have to have time in between to understand. Yep. And I, you know, I think people take for granted the, the way a dog learns, number one, but, you know, downtime for a dog in between stuff is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. I've been talking to more and more trainers thanks to this podcast. People who are much smarter than me and much better trainers than me. And I've heard I've heard that before, right? You, dog struggles with some type of setup. Put them in the truck. Let them think about it. Um, and bring them back out after at the end after all the other dogs are run, and you know, yep. you know, potentially run it again if you want them to learn whatever your whatever concept you're trying to teach. So that makes a makes a ton of sense. Um, all right. Back to rapid fire here. Uh, how many dogs do you own right now, Cody? <laughs> um, well, since we last talked, I think <laughs> I sold a couple, but I have acquired a couple. So okay. I'm probably still sitting right here at about 20. Um, I've got a couple. I've got a couple that are uh, that I'm going to sell in the fall. Um, I got one lab I'll sell as a starter dog, and then I've got a a cocker that I'm going to sell just because he kind of, he's a good dog, but he's not going to ever be my first choice sure. or second choice. Sure. And he's going to be somebody's favorite dog. Yep. So why not? You know, it's, it's going to be more fair to him. him. I mean, yeah. Right? And, uh, so, you know, now granted in that 20, I've got my blind dog that got shot and my oldest lab will be 10 in October. Sure. Um, sure. And then I've got six or seven, maybe eight pointing dogs and then flushing dog. Yeah. we got a full assortment. Yeah. So, okay. You got, how many, how many, how many labs and then how many cockers do you have? I've got, hang on, we count one, two, three, four, five cockers, labs, um, <laughs> Hang on. Probably eight to ten. Eight like no. No, I'm I'm lying on that. Six five cockers. I might have twenty-two dogs. <laughs> uh, I think I've got six or seven labs right now. I like I said, I'm not gonna count smoke in there because you know he's he's gonna go and hunt with somebody else. Sure. We'll sell him this year. And that's sure. why I kept him. Yeah. I, uh I'm, I'm a big fan. Like when I have a litter, um, I like to keep one and see how the mm-hmm. dogs are. And, you know, some of them just light my world on fire and I'm like, okay, if I keep you, which other one am I selling? Um, yep. and, but he's a, he's an awesome dog. He's a big dog. Um, but he just turned a year old and he's been here since a puppy and he'll be ready to make somebody a nice gun dog this, yep. this winter. So I'm going to sell him to the right place, but yeah. So you're, I'd say I think seven or eight labs. All of them are black except one. 
Okay, we're not even going to get into that discussion then. That's... No, I'm a, like Henry Ford said, you can have it any color you want as long as it's white. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding on that. I uh, I really do have all, all black dogs except one, but I, I don't really. I mean, I'm biased on one color, but that color is not black or yellow. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. All right. Um, uh, any big uh, hunting trips planned for this year? Yes. Um, right now, South Dakota is on the um, on the list. Now that may that may change after my lunch today. I hope not. Um, but usually, we don't really get cranked up till mid November, just because okay. it's hot. You know, we'll yeah. run some hunts at Dream Ranch in October but not me and usually it's mid-November through March pretty heavy so we always try and go somewhere the first week of November and hunt and then you know pretty much come back and it's wide open guiding after that but we're yep. going to try and go to South Dakota and shoot pheasants we went to Kansas last year and it was great but the time of year I can go that first week in November last year was hot in Kansas yep. um, and I want to say we went a little later in November last year but it was just hot. We got out there. It was 82 degrees. And, oh. you know, yeah. Wow. yeah was, so we're going to go north. We're, we're almost guaranteed it's going to be colder. <laughs> for better on the dogs, better on us. Um, but that's the, that's the big one um, this year. That'll be a good maybe, trip. Maybe squeeze some other stuff in along the way, but that's the only thing. Uh, no, only no. thing that's in the books right now. South Dakota is a good, good trip to take. All right. Uh, last one here. Uh, what is your uh, favorite food? Man, I'm going to go. I'm going to throw some something real Southern on you. Okay. Hit me. Uh, just, just given the time of year, crawfish. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, it's crawfish season down, down South and it's, uh, We've got a local place here that goes down to Louisiana once a week and brings back live crawfish. And we've uh, done quite a few crawfish bowls already. And and I'm, I'm a sucker. I, I, you tell me that there's a crawfish bowl happening, I'm going to show up. Okay. All right. <laughs> Invited That's or fair. not. That's fair. I'm, I've, I'm finding I have an affinity for uh, Southern cooking. Um, yeah. As well as. Down as well as sweet tea. I was, I told you I was just in <laughs> South Carolina before we started recording. And, um, yeah, I had some, you know, shrimp and grits and that was like, Oh, that's good stuff. Oh, fresh shrimp. And God, oh, I was just, yeah. Yes, please. Um, and we, we do our crawfish bowls a little different down here. Uh, everyone you go to is going to be different, but you know, if you were to go in a restaurant and order a low country bowl or whatever, you're going to get yep. shrimp or or crawfish and corn and potatoes that's yep. you know with some sausage well we do that and then most of the time we put in mushrooms brussels okay. sprouts okay um you know I, I had somebody put broccoli in it one time it was delicious okay so any pretty much anything you can boil we'll throw in it okay all right you just <laughs> yeah you get all that all that flavor infused together though that's yes it's please stuff. yes yep. please all right uh cody um before we go though um if people want to get in touch with you, um, if they have questions about code introduction, about some of your philosophies, if they want to maybe potentially send a dog to you, how can they get in touch with you? Where are you at online, on social media? Um, give some of that information. Um, my Instagram page is, is uh, Coosa Ben Kennel. 
it's uh, you can direct message on there. It's also got my phone number on there. That's kind of the easiest way to do it. I've got a Facebook page, Coosa Ben Kennels. Um, a lot of people message on there. I don't post much on it because Facebook censors uh, about everything now. You post a picture of a dog with a dead duck, and uh, you know you have to uncover to see photo. So most of my stuff goes on Instagram, but uh, you know either either of those options are a good way to get in touch with me. Like I said, my phone number is on uh, on my Instagram page, and we try and stay on top of it there. Um, yeah. So. Perfect. Perfect. And I'll link up to both of those in the, uh, the show notes uh, when this podcast gets released. So keep an eye out for that. If you want to get in touch with Cody as well, make it easy for you. Um, all right, Cody, uh, I'm going to let you get to training, get to getting your, uh, getting your dogs out, getting them loaded up. Uh, thank you again for hopping on here. Uh, appreciate your time and uh, good luck. Absolutely. And- Maybe I didn't ramble too much. Being uh, the, no, uh, never. Morning episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, man. I appreciate the time on here and and uh, look forward to doing it again. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, stay in touch and uh, take care. Stay cool this summer. Sounds good. That's it for this week's episode. If you found value in the content or enjoyed the conversation, I have a few favors to ask. First, hit that subscribe button. Second, share this podcast with another gun dog owner. Those two things uh, would mean the world to me, and they hopefully won't take you more than 30 seconds. Last thing is if you have another 30 seconds, go ahead and leave a review. Your feedback is important, and it's what drives this podcast uh, so that I can make changes and improve it going forward.